Hello everyone, you're listening to the Belladance Live podcast. I'm your host Jana Komarnitska and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Belladance art form. Plus, I really like like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. Have you ever considered adding a fitness element to your belly dance classes? This can significantly help you to get more students through the door and, most importantly, retain them and earn more money. Check out Sharky the belly dance workout. The founder of the system, Orid, shares how teaching Baladin's fitness transformed her own career in a way no performance opportunities ever could. In her course, you will receive tips on how to teach and get ready for the class, including ready-made class choreos, as well as useful insights on business aspect of this activity. Join Sharky's three-month instructor academy that features an online course, weekly coaching sessions, and business training. You leave with razor-sharp teaching skills and best practices for your teaching business. Enrollment is now open for the next Sharky Instructor Academy beginning January 2nd. Apply at sharkey.com teach. It's S-H-A-R-Q-U-I dot com slash teach, direct link in the show notes. This is our episode number 220. And every single episode before it, just like this one, is about dance. With every guest, we talked about dance. For every guest, dance is was and is part of their life. Just the same way as for you, for all our listeners, dance is something that is present to different capacity, but it's present in daily life to the point that you actually are interested to listen to this kind of conversation that we are sharing here at the Baladance Life podcast. But not always all those stories are happy or cloudless, let's say like this, or easy and straightforward. And because often we we love dance so much and we think about dance so much and we do dance so much and talk about dance so much, sometimes we start taking dance kind of for granted. Not like the love or passion to dance goes down, that's not what I mean, but it's something like we just consider like, okay, it's dance, it's there, it's always there for me, and that's the beauty of dance, that it is always there for us. But uh, that's not always the case for everyone. And there are circumstances in which dance is literally a luxury. That it's not something that you can just choose and go and do and uh, find a teacher, go to studio, or just do it even on your own. But in order to dance, you need to overcome obstacles. You need to fight for the right to dance. And in our today's compilation of best of uh, episodes, I decided to talk or focus specifically on this topic. So Today you will hear four stories, four very different stories uh, of our previous guests who had to 
face barriers in their dance journey. And some of the stories will show situations that they had to deal with uh, family resistance, uh, uh, maybe stop communication with some family members. Uh, sometimes they needed to leave the country literally or had to receive threats for their dance activities or not able to pursue performing career at all at some point of their life or in general. And I decided although the topic is uh, kind of sad, of course, and uh, maybe not that much inspirational at first glance, but I decided to put together this best of episode to remind all of us that dance is not something trivial. Dance is a luxury. And if you have opportunity to dance freely dance to where, wherever we want, however we want. This is a true gift from life. So today you will hear stories from Lebanese Simon, Sarah El-Hadithi, Mohamed Havaz, and Sabriya Takbilek. And all these guests were previously featured on our podcast, so what you what you will hear today is just short parts from the entire interviews and much bigger conversations which we did and obviously not just about this topic but much wider range of topics that we discussed with them previously so i highly encourage you if you possibly missed their previous full interviews or you kind of forgot and want to refresh or got inspired to listen to them again go do so all links direct links to each separate interview will be in the show notes of this episode and i hope that uh, you will never forget how beautiful gift the dance is and regardless of where you are in your journey or what you had to deal in your journey to be able to dance. I hope that you will never take it for granted and always will appreciate and always put as much dedication and love into dance as it gives back to you. Jelena and Belly Dance Evolution are back taking their show and programs across the globe. You know how many guests we had previously on this podcast shared how much their experience with BDE pushed their dance career. You can have it too. Audition for Jelena's latest production and join Jungle Book cast. All details at www.joinbde.com. Direct link in the show notes. Joinbde.com. In terms, like, obviously you lived in Lebanon, so probably dance and music was a part of culture and everyday life. But how did it become part of your professional life, let's say? Wow, yes. Um, so how I started, it's obvious sometimes at a six-year-old, at a 40-year-old, music talks to you. It speaks to you and you just move. At a very young age, it's something that every toddler did with turning the wrists and dancing with the wrist hands till they grow up and they start stepping on their foot and then they bounce a little till a few years older where they can move. And then some of them can move more coordinated. While I happen to be at a young age, I moved coordinated and I swayed my hips. So I knew at a young age, I had the hips for belly dance and the passion music spoke to me. So growing up further, I mean, skip many, many years, 
I came to the U.S. simply to pursue my education in civil engineering, structural engineering in Houston. And I just went into a class of one dancer, local dancer in Houston, a Lebanese dancer that I loved so much, loved watching her. And I asked her if I could come to your class. She's like, uh, yeah, of course. You know, it was the puzzled, like, what is this guy asking to come to my class for? Well, sure enough, I went in and we became friends. Uh, her name is Tamara. She lives in Houston. And uh, I'm a godfather of two beautiful nephews, her kids. So I love, I absolutely love her. And I love, I keep telling her till today. Many people may not know who she is, but she gave me wings. I mean, I was really passionate. I did it passionately in Lebanon. But when I came to the States, I thought this something has to stop. I mean, it's my professional life and my education that must take over now. But I couldn't until the very last year of my uh, college life. I, I just could not take dance off of my mind. And I'm really glad I stepped into that very first class to learn just to be amongst it. I mean, I knew how to move, I knew how to sway, but to put discipline into it and get back in the rhythm of it, it was important to me. So this is really the the the, the turn point. It was in the United States, the turn point where I was, in my mind, ready to just deepen it and then become more like a professional teacher and learn it the right way, learning finger symbols, which typically people don't do, learning the props and things of it. It's just I just wanted to dig deeper. Um, so this is really the, at that point, it was probably 2007 is when I went into, okay, now I'm going to learn how to become a good teacher. I'm going to learn how to become a good student uh, of a movement that you just did and were good at growing up. Um, so growing up, I did summer camps. I choreographed in those summer camps. I choreographed in uh, in the school plays, this is something that was me, but then you grow and then this is as many of my cousins and friends who are very talented in Lebanon, but they just dance becomes the back burner. It's not a it's not a style of life. It just it's an option of life, but you just put it on the side. But for me, no, I look at me now, I dance is my life. Mm. That's interesting. And one thing you also mentioned that when you first called uh, uh, Tamara to ask if you can join class, she was surprised. It was that reaction, why why this guy wants to come. Did you find any surprise or resistance? Because time change and we can now, it's we see a lot of male dancers and male teachers. Uh, but back, I remember even when I was starting, for me it was... No, 15 years ago, it was surprising. Oh, what do you mean a male teacher? Now it's obvious. <laughs> and it doesn't have any, I don't know, questions or surprises. But back then, did you feel any resistance? Or, I mean, I assume like from female point of view, we have our own issues when we go in ballet dance. And we have like, we discuss it a lot with uh, our previous guests even and, and some girls uh, in communities that uh, people try to put... Uh, objectification looks on it but if you don't mind sharing is there any um did you find any difficulties or possibly other possibilities opportunities as a male student in ballet dance class i mean this is deep this is a good question and this is deep 
Um, but I'm going to stay as general as possible um, and, and focus on one little part of it. Um, us Middle Eastern, we always come with a bag of drama. <laughs> we're born with that bag of drama. We're told things. We're told not to. We're told to fear things. Uh, we're told to be careful. But at the same time, I mean, you look at the Middle East, we're willing to experiment and things way beyond. Now, me as a male, it was just the voice in my head telling me, what are you doing? Did you really want to do this? But there's my heart telling me you must. I mean, I just, something could be a voice of destiny. I mean, telling me you must go in that class. I don't think I, I did hesitate a lot because Tamara made it very uh, inviting for me. She thought it was a great idea. Why not? Uh, but in the beginning, this the doubt is always there for a male dancer. Why is he there? This dance did not start for male. This dance did not really exist for men to dance. It, it didn't get famous with men dancing. This dance got famous with female dancers in the golden age of cinema in Egypt. I mean, starting females. And if it was a male dancing... Maybe it was just to mimic or it was in a sense of mockery in the movies. So this is when the dance became famous and became on a public platform. It was a female form of dance mostly. Maybe the males were doing choreography or staging. or So I, I just didn't think that way. I simply thought what, make, what would make Simon happy. Simon's about to graduate, get his degree. Hey, one milestone done. I have a job waiting for me. Once you have that kind of confidence, no, you just you have to go head on. So I no, I had to just simply take it for the the pure love and passion that dance would present to me, and then I accepted that love and passion and the little struggle of learning, and then walked in heads on. I was ready at heart. I was. That's that's great to hear. And the reason I ask this question because I feel there are many misunderstandings and misconceptions about it. We always think like ballet dance first thing first thought oh it's a female dance but it's not necessarily true like and there are so many great male dancers and teachers who did such a huge impact on this dance form right i want to add to that point really quick uh, back in the days the most famous choreographers i mean let's let's not take it too late let's do rida style back when i mean mahmoud rida and now it's a remember when we do a dance and we present it publicly, we present it to the public. Sometimes it could have a message, an artistic message, or a message of defiance of existence, or it can simply be something a message of entertainment or of artistic uh, showcase. So when you're when you're putting something that is personally artistic with a message out there. It's your work, whatever you choose to put it, you're there to defend your message. But this form of dance often is being looked at as a form of entertainment. When you put it out there as a form of entertainment, you need to respect your audience. So before you put out self, yourself out there, say, I'm there to entertain you, and your audience is just not ready to see a male entertaining them, you need to be mindful of where you're placing your art. In that case, in the beginning, I felt more safe acting to dancing to um, 
recorded music on a theater. This is first, I mean, and then with a statement of a pure introduction that would announce me as a, an artist with a message. What is the song that I'm doing, what it means, and then what's the message I have there? I felt that's a safe approach. So I don't want to take it back in the days historically did man exist, did man belly dance? No, I'm, I'm going to just live it and say it the way it is now. Because historically there is footage, but I don't want to defend the past. I know the past. I just want to speak of me now and many of the male artists now that are hesitant about it. Know who your audience is and know which platform you're presenting your art. I'm a very practical person. Um, they say why live any style is done in heels. Well, simply because back when it was concrete floor, you had to wear heels to protect your feet. It's not like Lebanese dance had to be done with heels. No, if it was a rug in a shabby wedding, you don't step on a carpet with your shoes. You take your shoes off and you enter. So it became barefoot at that time. It was a melody more sensual. So it depends on the dance surface you're dancing on. Now it's we categorize it so we could sell it. Uh, shoes with heels class, you know. So, but it's at the end of the day, I think that a male artist should listen to the voice you should always dance no matter what people say, but you choose where, when, and how to present your dance. I mean, we have great male artists in Lebanon now, and they're coming out, they're coming up with the young artists with like flocks, and it just it just makes me happier than ever. Some of them they have a statement, a message of defiance, message of I'm here, I deserve, I have the right to dance. And some they just celebrate, they're happy to dance. And some that are there to put an artistic theatrical performance, a choreography. Everybody has a message. Now, the problem happens is when a male artist wants to view himself as an entertainer, goes out to an audience at a restaurant where the audience is just not ready for him in the Middle East, then the clash happens. But this is the importance sometimes of coaches and of managers to just guide you what's your message where is it best to be presented or best to be heard now of course breaking the limits is good for some male artists and some are able to do both entertain and teach and start on big theaters uh, currently male artists are the most in the in demand right now i mean if you see most flyers in europe there's always that big male headliner because i feel a male artist can safely approach a lady and without that competitiveness or without that sensitivity and say, okay, uh, move the hips a certain way. I mean, he's not trying to steal a costume. He's not trying to uh, push the song to a different, he's just, he just, he comes in with a joy. He's just happy to able to do it. I mean, despite his past. So um, this is why they've reached, I mean, they've worked hard like every female artist. And at the end, I mean, you look at it, dance is an art should be genderless, shouldn't have a religion, and it should be expressed and cherished. What makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again, so you keep doing it for so many years? This question, I'm gonna, what makes me fall with it? It's, um, I just wake up and I remember what, it, oh, I mean, how and why I fell in love with it in the first place. I mean, so as a young kid, um, I loved doing it. I was encouraged and pushed to do it. And they loved watching me dancing as a child. And then it comes to a certain age, 12, 13. And then 
it wasn't the fun thing to do. It was uh, it was a little shunned of me to do it, and it was a disappointment if I did it. It was the words and the things of people that said to me that hurt my ears a lot. They knew or they didn't know, but it did hurt me a lot. Why do I do it? Why do I look that way? I'm a sissy. Look at this guy. Look, he's a da-da-da. Thinking back, the years of deprivation of it growing up in my teens, not being able to do it and having to do it, say, just in a restroom before shower when I'm able to turn the music, I just don't want anybody to go through what I went through. And if they could just do the dance and love it for the true first love they did, they should always do it. So I come from a place of uh, I've been deprived from it at the years where I needed it the most. And when I did it, I was judged and called names. Like I told you, this bag of drama that comes with a Middle Eastern generally and a male dancer as well specifically, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to celebrate it. They're going to talk regardless. Whoever has to talk and wants to talk about it and judge and say, let them talk. At the end of the day, I'm happy to do it. It's a way for me to say I'm alive. And this is why it makes me fall in love with it more and more because it comes from a deprivation. It comes from a, a form and expression that I'm never, never able to express it. My mother would, and this is a little personal, get a little sensitive here, but I mean, she would come and knock at the door. I'm like, the water's been running for 10 minutes. I could hear music in there. Have you finished shouting? I was 14 years old, and I said in my head, I haven't finished dancing. I'll shout in a little bit. And then I say, yes, I'm done. That fear of being caught or not doing it. Now I get to enjoy it and celebrate it. Don't let anybody stop me. And don't let anybody stop you or anybody for those who are listening. Get over obstacles in life and get over them with strength and confidence because what doesn't kill you make you stronger, right? So dance and celebrate dance. And the fact that I get to do it, something that I wasn't able to do for years in the past, that's joy by itself. Probably came this love to... Uh, to these subjects uh, came not only with your passion to dance, but also from your childhood too. So can you please tell us about uh, um, how it was and what was okay. the influence probably from your parents? <laughs> so um, I grew up, my childhood, obviously when you're a child, you, you, don't, you don't think anything is unusual. You think everything's very normal. And then you grow up and you realize, no, this was an unusual upbringing. You know, um, most most kids grow up, their father goes to work, he comes back, you know, it's kind of the, it's, it's, um, you, you know, like the kids at school, you, parents go to work, parents come back, my father would tour for, I mean, okay, let me start right at the beginning. Uh -huh. The day I was born, my mother went into labor. The day I was born, my father left for his first concert in Paris. He dropped my mother off at the hospital and then went to the airport and left for Paris. He had been invited by, don't ask me the connection, but by Pierre Cardin. And it was his first trip to Europe representing the Iraqi arts. Mm. And that was the day I was born. So my dad didn't see me till a month later because he was busy gigging, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so it's real sort of like it was... Um, 
in in Middle Eastern terms, it's um, it was you know a bit sort of I guess the West would call it rock and roll. So that was my little sort of like you know rock and roll. Me and my um, my yeah both my brothers our little sort of rock and roll lifestyle. We used to where we could in summer holidays go. Um, if my father was touring, we I mean I remember in 1981 I think it was or 1980, 1981 or 1980. Okay, <laughs> we did an entire tour of Morocco when my father toured Morocco, and that was our summer. Um, we used to. You know, we would be the children at the gigs up until midnight, falling asleep on the restaurant chairs because, you know, because, um, you know, dad had a concert and then they'd all go out and socialize afterwards. And I don't know what it is with Arabs. They just don't believe in babysitters. So, <laughs> we were there. so it was all it was a little bit um, our childhood was a bit rock and roll. It was fun. It was entertaining. And we ha were blissfully unaware of the kind of company we kept until we were older. I mean, just blissfully unaware that we, you know, everybody was uncle this and aunt that, and we had no idea, you know, until we were obviously older and realized um, who and what was going on. And um, one example, I think I posted, so there's a, a very well-known poet in Iraq called uh, Mubafar Nawab. And I remember posting uh, an old throwback Thursday of when him and my father were touring and their performance in London. And I got messages from Iraq. I didn't realize, like, I didn't realize that this was sort of beyond, you know, anything they could imagine just to be in the same room as this person. I'm like, yeah, I did, you know. And then I remember, I remember talking about a trip to Chicago when I was 20. And what I was talking about was my first time to America. And my first trip to America was with my father, um, with Madhafar Nawab with a very famous Syrian, Nazar al-Qabani. And I'm, I think you might have heard of this guy, Wadi Asafi, the Lebanese singer, Wadi Asafi. I mean, these are heavyweights, you know, and I'm sort of, you know, going along with my dad, hanging out with the boys in the band and having a good time. And, you know, it just, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, unusual upbringing, unusual mm. upbringing. Um, and that's not to mention, um, poets and painters and actors and musicians. I mean, historically, I've met the first female film actress in Iraq. She was, we were friends of the family with her daughter and his husband, as in my parents were friends of her children, her, you know, her daughter and her son-in-law. And I just remember this, you know, old lady sitting on the bed being very sort of grandmotherly. And, you know, that was like the first ever leading lady film actress mm. in Iraq. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's when you kind of stop and think about, you know, your country's history, that's huge. It's huge. You know, it's not something small. And like I said, we were just blissfully unaware mm. until later. And it was like, wow. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> being so. this uh, environment when you were a child, uh, did you dream about being on stage yourself or it was just something uh, oh, not God, in your mind? I so badly, I so badly <laughs> loved being on stage. I, um, I studied at school the performing arts. I really wanted to, my heart's always been in music and I really wanted to sing more than anything. Um, I loved singing and um, I studied the performing arts, which was music, dance and drama. And, you know, one of the issues is regardless of who my father is, 
Iraq is so incredibly conservative that it was just not an option. Mm -hmm. They just, particularly the performing arts to this day, I mean, I think you see it across the board in the Middle East and um, in North Africa, you see that dancers and singers and actors are not taken seriously. Even more so in certain countries like Jordan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, you know, it's even, it's even more conservative. There's even more sort of, there's, there was a phase, I would say from maybe the thirties onwards where they really tried to push, I mean, what they called, they tried to push for Westernization to be more liberal, to appreciate their arts. So you had things like, you know, in the sixties, the first dance troupe came up before officially becoming the national, um, you know, the, the national folkloric troupe, mm -hmm. you know, it was the 60s that first created, you know, they started making films. I mean, it's kind of absurd. You look at Egyptian history, like the first completely Iraqi produced film was made in 1948. 1948. I mean, think about The Wizard of Oz was 1939. Think about the movies, how far back you can go in Egypt with their movies. And, you know, and here's Iraq sort of, you know, plodding along. In <laughs> 1948, they make one film, you know, and it's like, yay! <laughs> so they, they went through a phase, they went through a phase of um, trying to sort of be up to date and to catch up with everywhere else, you know, as far as the arts, the performing arts. And I don't mean the arts as in music or literature. There's always been, it's always been very strong as far as educationally, music, literature, poetry, um, uh, that it's, it's always had, it's always been incredibly powerful in that area. I'm talking specifically the performing arts. Respect for the dance arts, their folkloric arts, you know, recording them. Um, I think other than maybe Iraqi maqam was really the one thing that held Iraq sort of up musically because during the medieval period, that's when they started recording music and that, tradi that tradition went on as far as the actual recording and having a structure to Arabic music, the Mokans, you know, that's where all of that sort of started to come together. Mm -hmm. um, but when it came to performance, when it came to the actual person, it was always incredibly difficult to be a performer. So this is a long way of me telling you that I was not allowed to go and pursue a singing career. <laughs> so that's all I wanted to tell you there, that as much as I loved it, um, it was not an option. Um, and it wasn't not that it was an option. It was go and do something sensible. Do you mean it was not an option in terms of your country and environment or in terms of like your parents? Because if your family is so artistic, I would assume they actually would really support and encourage their children to, to go into that direction you too. You would, you would, but no, not performance oh. art. Hmm. As much as I know that, and that sounds like a huge contradiction. It is very, it's, it's, it sounds contradictory and it's, it's difficult to explain. I think anyone... To put it bluntly, anyone from Iraq would understand it or anyone from, you know, the Middle East would understand it. I think for Westerners, they kind of go, well, how come your dad's doing it and you can't do it? It's like, well, it's just another way we're kind of, you know, it's just the joy of being an Arab. You know, <laughs> it's just, hey, this is how we are. You know, it's, it's difficult to explain the complications of being a Middle Eastern woman. And every country is different. There's a similar thread, but every country is different. But the theme of women performing is always frowned upon, is consistent throughout the Middle East and North Africa. 
Some countries, their women do it more than others, fair enough, but it's still, it's a consistent theme. It doesn't, you know, and um, I don't know why it is that with performing arts that you can be a poet, you can be a painter, you can be a choreographer, you can be a composer, you can write stories for scripts, you can be a cameraman, you can be a camerawoman, but to be the instrument that brings the story to life, to be the vocalist, to be the actor, to be the dancer, that's where it seems to, you know, it seems to not, well, to put it bluntly, it, it doesn't get the respect that it absolutely deserves. It, I mean, it absolutely deserves to be respected. There's no question. It's, um, you know, an extraordinary thing to be able to do to go on stage and entertain people mm. and be good at it. <laughs> do, you, do you think that it has anything to do with the fact that in those professions, basically our body becomes our instrument? So the main uh, focus is on, like, on the body itself? Oh I'm, sure. oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's the idea that, you know, that um, I'm sure it's the idea. That, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That there is um, there is an exposure of the soul that should remain private you know there's an exposure of yourself and your emotions and and you know even if you're playing a character you know there's there's an exposure to yourself that is in you know normal circumstances considered private so do you just does that make sense do you mm -hmm. get what i mean things that you're uh, allowing certain emotions and feelings and you know things that would usually you don't talk about in public you know you're singing a love song for it to be convincing you have to sound like it's convincing and we don't talk about being in love in the Middle East. Everybody has secret relationships, mm. you know? So, you know, so for, you know, for you to express yourself, how you would express yourself if you were, you know, um, in love or you broke up with somebody or you had a secret love and they let you, I mean, you know, I think it's all related to not being to, you know, um, it's all related to being far too close to the far too raw for you know people to go you cannot they're too conservative for that kind of display public mm. display so to speak that's quite think, interesting yeah. contrast because uh, uh, singing is such an important uh, and music such an important part of the culture and it actually exposes those emotions and talks about yeah. those emotions but uh, it's only like sort of limited whatever we are talking about using body and expressing emotions via movement and body, then it becomes something uh, completely different, almost like a taboo topic in this case. One of the contradictions that's always messed with me coming from the culture is, there is a huge contradiction. There is a very liberal and very passionate and very erotic um, arts um, side of the Middle East in their poetry and in their music and in their dance. It's incredibly passionate and sensual and sexual. There's no denying it, no matter what it is. Yet there's this curtain that comes down of conservatism that completely does a 180. And it's a very unusual, when you think it, that's a very unusual thing because one does one completely contradicts the other. And it's not as if at some point we became conservative and stopped being passionate and erotic and sensual and sexual in our music. No, we continued to flourish and, you know, and celebrate. And, you know, I mean, I come from a Bedouin background. 
And some of the oral poetry that I learned from my father when I was reading, you know, some of the translations of his, of, you know, of the oral poetry that he recorded. I mean, some of it's very erotic. It's very erotic and almost like, dad, <laughs> you know, like what on earth? And Bedouins are notoriously conservative, notoriously conservative. And so it's, you know, it's, it's a very strange way to be. And for me, I don't know, because I was raised in London. I mean, I was born in Baghdad, but I was two and a half when I left. And I probably, the last time I saw Iraq, I was six years old. Um, so I'm very British, you know, very, I'm very, I'm very much a Londoner more so than very British. I'm very London. Um, <laughs> so for me, it really sort of being raised in the, re in the West and knowing this and with my upbringing, it really did actually mess with my head a lot. I just couldn't understand it. And I couldn't understand how, how do, like I'd say to my mother, how do you guys just live? Like, how do you just, how are you just okay mm. with this? How is this just okay? I don't get it. It's such a complete contradiction. It's like saying to you, chocolate's delicious, but don't eat it. You know, it's kind of, come on now. You can't do that to people. You know? <laughs> Especially to kids. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, this is so delicious. Oh my God. It's like heaven in your mouth, but you're not allowed to have it. So, oh my God, really? Oh. You know, so it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's, um, it's, not a, it's not an answer I have for it. It's something that baffles me and I'm still on the road to discovery to figure out what what all that nonsense is about because <laughs> I'm very liberated. So for me, conservatism doesn't, whether it's here or whether it's in the Middle East, I, I just, I think it's, it's, it's the death of civilization. But anyway. Mm. <laughs> I am guessing here, but I'm really curious to ask you this. Uh, so you mentioned that you were uh, touring with your father. You met uh, a lot of great artists in the mm. uh, fields of poetry and music, mm. even filmmaking. Have you had the uh, occasion that you met, met uh, a female artist in performing arts that really inspired you and it's still on your mind that meeting? Was there anything like that? You know, I was always as a kid, like everybody, fascinated when we went to parties and there were belly dancers here. Here, here, there. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Everywhere. <laughs> there, were belly, yeah. there were belly dancers there. I was always um, fascinated by them. But was there anybody significant performance wise? Do you know what, where I grew up? Um, other than um, the, the actress I had mentioned, a lady called um, Azima Telfir, I I didn't. Um, you know what, with Iraqi arts, I didn't meet anybody. It was very man-heavy. I met, okay, let me clarify, performing artists, that's the only significant female that I remember sort of like to this day kind of going, wow, that's, that's something for the history books. You know, that's something to tell my grandchildren. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm just, I'm really trying to think, hold on. I'm really <laughs> I got you on spot. <laughs> no, because I, it's, it's an interesting point to make because most of my interactions with artists, um, uh, whether they were performing artists or just in other areas of the arts, was predominantly, um, performing artists predominantly male. I mean, I mean, I'm going through the list of people mentally in my head and I'm going, Oh my God, they were all men. There were, mm. I, I didn't meet any women. 
I heard about certain women, but I never met them, you know. Um, but yeah, I, no. Do you know what? No, just that one actress. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting because it goes back to how conservative things were, you know, things were that even the performing artists were predominantly male. I would love to start from the very beginning and ask you, how did your dance journey start in the very beginning? Like, what was your first like memories of, I don't know, dance class or dreams to become a dance? How everything started for you? <laughs> yeah. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, my name is Mohamed Hawaz and I come from Iraq and I born in Mosul, north in Iraq. Uh, why and when I going to be dancer? Uh, actually, I I want like when I was like seven years, uh, I saw the Iraqi international company in the TV, uh, and I get love with the, this company and this picture with my teacher Hana Abdullah. When I saw here the first time in the TV, I was like, oh my god. I wanted to be dancer and I wanted to dance with here. So that is, is my first word to tell my, my family. And I come from, uh, from my, my father family uh, is like very, very, uh, how can I say? It's like they don't want to be dancer. Conservative? Yes, about like that. Uh, but my mom family is more open uh, and I love them <laughs> because they give me everything what I want. Mm. Uh, and I I want in the school uh, when I want like seven years and eight years or like that. And in the school we have every year different festival like for children. Uh, and we have something about also for politics and like it's like normal in Iraq, we have different festival every year. Mm. So that they do like some competition in the school, and I and I loan I loan me some uh, Iraqi international company. I never uh, meet them. I just saw the the choreography in the TV, and I loan myself this choreography. And I show my teacher, I say, I say, yes, I can dance something from the Iraqi international company. And he just looked to me, do you know the Iraqi international company? And I was like just seven years. I say, yes, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> so I do something with, uh, for Hana uh, Abdullah's step. It's like women's step. <laughs> and he, he saw me like that. I love dance. And I start in my school. Then uh, my teacher, he speak with Iraqi artist union in Mosul. And then every, every time when them have some festival or some show, they take me from school to, to, mm -hmm. to perform in the artist union. Artist union is very big uh, community for all the artists in my city in Mosul. So yeah, I started from artist union and from school then, uh, my dream coming to to meet Hannah Abdullah. Oh my God, I cannot, I cannot forget this moment when I meet Hannah Abdullah. You know, Hannah Abdullah, she is, she started dance from one nine six three, 
and she still dance to now. She works with me now last month in Moscow. Uh, and she, for me, she did everything for Iraqi art, uh, folklore dance. She bring everything for stage. Uh, and she start also the Iraqi international company. So yeah, I she saw me and uh, she loaned me everything. She loaned me everything, all the Iraqi stylists, dancers, and of course, not just here. Uh, I have a lot of teachers in Iraq who helped me to be dancer. I have Ahmed Jumaili, Hana Abdullah, Mr. Fuad Noon, uh, Sabriya, Adil Al-Aibi, them is my best teacher in Iraq because in Iraq we have very good dancers, uh, very good dancers. Yeah, but my 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 dream is not a stop just about the the folklore because I love I love also contemporary, uh, and I get love with uh, Walid Awni. Uh, Walid Awni he is choreography from Lebanon, but he 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 work in Brussels in Belgium with Moussin Bejar. Uh, if you know, if you heard about Moussin Bejar, Moussin Bejar, he is like uh, he how the change of the contemporary dance to ballet dance to contemporary in Europe, and Walid Awni he worked with him, and Walid Awni he he coming to Middle East in nineteen, and he opened the first school for contemporary uh, school in the Middle East. It was an opera house in Cairo. Yeah, so, but in Iraq, we have a, we have a lot different technique, uh, different stylists, because Iraq is big and we don't have, we, it's not just Arabic people living in Iraq. We have like different, uh, like Kurdish, Arabic, uh, Christian, Sabi'iyin, Yazidiyin, Shabak Turkman, and all of them. All of them, they have different uh, styles of dance. Uh, this is why the Iraqis is very nice because it's different color. And all the time, when you have different color, it's mean you have very nice uh, <laughs> life. That's so true. Yeah, it's so inspiring to to hear about your story and that you are. A dream from uh, like a childhood. Actually, you're you're living it now. You it became true. You met your heroes, and it's it's very inspiring also to see how your face lights up and you you remember your teachers and like first <laughs> meetings yeah. and memories with them. It's so so awesome. I I also sorry. I also need to say something is very important for me. Uh, when I want like like children and dance, it was okay everything. But when I coming to be like more elder. Uh, Traditional, it will be more harder for me because you know my family, uh, the, all my family, they say you need to stop dance now. You cannot continue because in Iraq, uh, when you say you are a dancer, it's not okay. It's not okay. It is very, very, very hard. So really, our job in Iraq when I want dancer. Like I am a man, but I think about all the time about the women. When when the women uh, dance, what the people thinks, it's very hard, uh, very 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 hard. I actually was about uh, to ask because listening of your story and like it, it sounds like it was really like the arts were blooming. 
what is like sort of social uh, I don't know, social political situation in Iraq now and what plays dance and music what we, what role dance and music plays today in day-to-day life of people in Iraq uh, do you know I, I moved from Iraq 2005 uh, when I threatened uh, threatened threatened yeah uh, so I moved from Iraq and I don't been in Iraq from 2005 mm-hmm. to, to, to 2019. So last year, my first times I back from Sweden to Iraq because I had a, a culture exchange between Sweden and Iraq. How I work for this like one year because really I wanted to help Iraq about to be more open and to, to help them because, you know, the, Everything is, is very hard now in Iraq. Like our politics, uh, everything is changed. So when I've been in Iraq uh, 2019, for me, I guess shock. I said, oh my God, everything is changed. Mm-hmm. Everything is changed. If you ask me, what do you think about before 2003 and now? Honestly, no. Before 2003, it was very high in Iraq, in, in like in actor, in the dancers, because we we had like safe, uh, like we have the safe and the, all the politics before the support, uh, mm. like artist. Now, no, they have not money. I know many dancers that don't have solar from the Iraqi culture minister because they don't have money. So it is very, very, very hard. But them still working and dance in Iraq, like especially the Iraqi International Company. I know that for you, dance and music were in your childhood or probably even before you were born you already were listening to the rhythms and melodies and songs so can you tell a little bit about your childhood environment and that period that you start thinking about ballet dance as a career like how did it transition yeah so i my mom was a dancer and uh She's she's American, so she, she wasn't born into it. But she um, and my father is uh, a musician, so that's actually how they met. And um, and yeah, so it, it's belly dance is something that's was there from the beginning. It's I um, it's not something that I, I I I don't have a memory of, of the first time of seeing it or the first time hearing the music. It was just always there. Um, but then, but I guess you could say I didn't, I started thinking about doing it or pursuing it more. Well, there's t- sort of two phases. Like when I was um, 13, I started to take classes. And by then my, my mother had stopped dancing. And, um, and then also, so, and then I got, but it was just a hobby. And I think I wasn't looking at it as something to do because I had seen my mother do it and my, I'd seen my father, both of them working as artists. And I, I just knew that that was, I didn't have any illusions about the glamour of what that was like. I could, I knew it was also hard work. So, um, but then when I finished college, I decided, okay, 
if I'm going to do this ever <laughs> full time, this would be the time because I'm, I'm done with my school. I don't have any commitments to a place or a person or anything. So I'll just do it for, I thought I would do it for a short time or a year or so, but I <laughs> still mm -hmm. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, when you were uh, young, uh, when you were a kid, did you have any, you know, social pressure of like uh, becoming a ballet dancer? Because you probably heard many jokes from relatives or even friends like, oh, it's a future ballet dancer growing up uh, or dancer in general, or, or maybe not, I don't know. But since you were in such artistic family and your mother uh, was ballet dancer, um, did you feel any like, extra push uh, not only from your parents but from uh environment who knew about artistic uh, uh side of your family <laughs> uh no it was actually the opposite um i both of my parents uh did not want me to 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 pursue dancing <laughs> uh because i think exactly because they they know how hard it was um certainly on my father's side of the family i i have both i have you know lots of people who are who are very supportive and um of what i do and what i've become but i've also i also have people who are not um you know that are, adhere to this sort of cliches of a strict um Muslim values, which um, my my family is not religiously conservative in any way uh, on the whole, but uh, some family members are very much against me dancing. So, um, so no, I didn't. I felt like I didn't feel that there was a pressure for me to dance. I felt that I kind of had to fight to to dance because it, people didn't want me to. And I think in terms of my mother, I, should, I think she knew that it was, um, it was, it's hard, it's difficult. It's, you know, financially, it's not the securest thing to do. Um, she also knew what sort of stigma dancers face and the, the, um, the attitudes people have towards dancers. And I think she didn't want that for me. Um, and the same with my father, I think, he knew exactly what people would think of me and didn't want people to think of his daughter that way. So, um, no, <laughs> but I'm so glad that I did it. But once you started and then once they saw that you actually going for it, uh, they probably supported with their experience in this field. Uh, uh they give some support and maybe advice, uh, from time to time uh, for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, kind of, I mean, my father and I, we certainly like connect uh, in talking about music and um our and our love for for arabic music um cuz even though he's a he's a turkish musician but a lot of what he's done is played in this genre um of turkish music called arabesque so it's and he's from a town that's relatively close to uh to syria And you know the Middle East. I mean, <laughs> Arab um, Arab sounds, so to speak. And one musician, another Turkish musician, actually told me that he was kind of like instrumental in creating the sound that became known as arabesque. But so I will brag on his behalf. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so he's really into to Arabic music, and 
Um, but he's also into like Indian music and I mean, really anything. But so we definitely connect in that way. And if I have questions, like I can call him up and be like, what Macam is this? And he can tell me or um, yeah, it's we have a nice um, connection in that way. And then with my my mom, she she came <laughs> my clearest member of memory of her uh, helping me. I mean, she's helped me in a lot of ways, but she once um, she was uh, she came to visit me when I was working in Dubai, and um, she. Uh, like when she was a dancer in the seventies, she had like, she had to like make all her costumes. You couldn't, I mean, you could travel to Egypt, but wasn't like you could do it once a year or anything like that. And, um, and it wasn't so easy just to get your hands on a costume. So she literally had to like make all these cost every costume that she ever wore. And then, you know, as she came to visit me in Dubai and she was helping me do a quick change and she was like, she was just like, I can't believe this. You just have like a closet full of beautiful costumes. And you just, you know, like you have like over 20 of them. <laughs> and they're all beautiful. And none of them are hand, are like sewn by you. And I was like, yep. <laughs> it was very, um, uh, it was fun. It was very fun. And she, uh, she's also visited me in Tunisia and, uh, and uh, once again, coming back to like attitudes of what people think about dancing, she was sitting in the audience there in Tunisia and, and the waiters were kind of looking at her like, wait, you're going to watch your own daughter's show and you're okay with it? And my mom's like, yeah, <laughs> where's my drink? Where's my fruit? I want some, <laughs> like she was, she was pr um, proud and happy to be in the show. And, and that was really, really fun for to sort of to show off that yes um i have parents who actually support me in this mm, that's so awesome and so interesting like these stereotype approaches uh from both like in many different cultures uh, but even like for waiters to be surprised that your mom will watch you show of course she will watch she wants <laughs> to see her daughter on stage and uh, performing and i can only imagine the feelings that she had watching you dancing and uh, possibly remembering her like uh, dance experience and shows and uh, wow I, I can only imagine the feelings that went through her <laughs> in that moment <laughs> throughout your dance career you probably experienced the artist uh, hardship <laughs> that your parents were talking about did you ever had a moment in your dance career that you kind of regret that you didn't listen to your parents and didn't do it uh, or was it more like flowy and uh, more or less like without you, you know like artistic crises that we sometimes have <laughs> Uh, no, my God, I've had all sorts of artistic crises. And since I've been doing this for a long time, I mean, I started performing when I was 16. <laughs> um, and so I think with, with each few years, you come into a new crisis, um, or a different there's, and you, you have a different relationship to your, your artistry and, and um oh god <laughs> this is a big question let's why do i start 
it, I mean, it has not been a smooth, it has not been smooth sailing. Um, when I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> Whatever came first to your mind. <laughs> um, well, when I first got to the Middle East, once again, uh, even though I was well aware from, you know, the culture that I was around growing up and I knew that there was a lot of stigma against dancers and also, um, my, uh, my teacher, Suheila Salampour, she's, she certainly didn't, um, sugarcoat it. Um, she, she was also, she has a similar background to me where she has, uh, one parent who was Middle Eastern and was also kind of was disowned by half of her family for a long time. And, um, so I didn't have this sort of naivete that a lot of people might have coming into working in the Middle East. But then when still, when I got there, I was still really shocked that it was, it really was like that. <laughs> and I thought that, you know, oh, well, if people see me and meet me, they will know that I'm nice and I'm a good girl. <laughs> and, um, and that's just, uh, it's just not the case. I mean, people have all these sort of, um, perceptions about dancers and so it was really hurtful in the beginning because I love dance so much I put so much effort into dance I respect dance so much and then to be surrounded by people that didn't it was just sort of it made me really sad for a long time um but then I learned to adjust to that and think of, well, what can I do about it? I can't change people's attitudes. I also can't assume that everybody has a negative attitude about dancers. Um, I can't change people's minds. So I'm just going to be who I am, you know, work with the integrity that I know that I have and, and be the type of artist that I want to be. And so that was definitely um, my first crisis and then also leaving the leaving performing full-time is a definitely an adjustment um I don't know that it's as much it wasn't a crisis but it was definitely an adjustment where you know if you're on stage working seven nights a week you have you have a very special relationship with dance um and to not have that uh, even though it's exhausting and you can't do it forever it's still um it's a it's a transition you have to transition into a different way and i and i get tremendous uh artistic fulfillment and um love uh, I have tremendous love for teaching. I, I I think it's really fun. And like I said, I think it's fulfilling in a lot of ways, but it's different. It's completely different than than performing. And um, and you know you when you perform every day, you're you're always hopefully <laughs> trying to get better and better and better and understanding the music differently and more deeply and it's just this constant quest. And then once that quest is kind of not there anymore, it's, it's a loss. 
That's it for today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and before you leave, don't forget to screenshot and share it with your friends. The more people get inspired, the better it is for our dance community. Until next time, keep shimming and see you soon! This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for 7 days for free.